Welcome back to another episode of Be Our Guest here on Musical Theatre Radio. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. Now, one of my favorite musicals is Come From Away. I, I admit it. I love that show. And today's guest uh, was there from the beginning through to its Tony and Olivier award-winning nights. He, he's been a theatrical producer for almost 20 years, was the producing artistic director of the Canadian Musical Theatre Project at Sheridan College for over 10, and the co-founder of his latest endeavor, the company My Story Creative. And we're going to get into all of this stuff. I'm looking forward to talking about it. I'm excited to talk to him about all these things. I'd like to welcome to the show, Michael Rupinoff. Michael, hello. Hello. You know what? Come From Away is my favorite musical, too. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I, I, I love that show. Not just because you're sitting there, but I've seen it and uh, many couple of times. I do love it. So, no, so. you know what? It, it truly is a beautiful thing how that show has resonated around the world. I mean, I mean, it, you know, it was extraordinary, you know, just to go to Broadway to have a Canadian company. But, you know, um, as we're recording this, there's just a gorgeous production in the Netherlands that's going to open very soon. Uh, it's a non-replica production, so it's its its own production in Dutch, and it just looks stunning. And it, I, I'm just continue to be in awe as these international productions. There's a Finnish production that will open in Finland in the new year, and there was a Argentinian production that was about to open in Buenos Aires just before the pandemic hit. This that'll reopen later next year. So it's beautiful that a message of kindness, you know, and humanity uh, continues to resonate. And some people feel even more so after what we've been through in the last 19, 20 months. Very true. Very true. Now, before we get into all of that stuff, I want to get to know you first. Our, our viewers, our viewers, our listeners might not know who you are. So who is Michael Rubinoff in 30 seconds? The 30 second bio of Michael. So I say I am an igniter of creation and a supporter of storytellers. I, I like developing new musicals. I'm a producer, a creative producer. And, um, you know, a lot of artists and writers do, wear so many hats. I want to take one hat away and allow them to do what they do best. And that's write and create. So that, that's what I am. And uh, it's musical theater. Um, the majority of my um, time in terms of creating is, is in that genre. And we thank you for it. <laughs> so, so uh, before we get in again, uh, I want to take it back. Were you always into musicals growing up, or is that something you discovered a little bit later in life? No, I always loved it. I, I say I was a child actor of no consequence. I did film and television. I never, I never got cast in a musical. I always dreamed of it. But, you know, I was one of those kids that, you know, I loved the school musicals, loved the camp musicals, you know, uh, you know, played uh, a triumphant uh, Tevya when I was probably 10 or 11 years old at Camp Walden, a seminal production of Fiddler on the Roof. Um, but it was really the thunderbolt for me was Les Miserables when I was 13, seeing that uh, Canadian company at the Royal Alexandra Theatre. You know, that was just the experience that I said, you know, I want to be a part of this. Um, I really want to be a part of creating this. I mean, I was so struck by the emotion, the talent, the creativity, um, and that just stayed with me. So I eventually decided that, you know, producing was was really where I wanted to situate myself, gave up on the, uh, you know, performing publicly, 
I, I will do many private performances you know, <laughs> in the car or, you know, if you see me driving, I've got the Broadway channel on belting away. But it sort of felt, especially in Canada, where I'm based and my, and my work is based, um, you know, there's, there is, there was a shortage and still is of, of producers that, that create work, support work, develop work. So that was of interest to me. Cool. So I, I, I I've read your bio, so I know this, yeah. but yeah. Uh, after high school, you, did you go into theater? No, sir. I, I <laughs> you know, uh, as a Jewish kid from the suburbs of Toronto, I went off to do a political science degree and then I went to law school. I know, right? Reeks of theater. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I really thought, you know, politics is my other passion. So I think there, that route was was knocking at the door. But you know, in law school, in my last year of law school, I produced and directed the university musical, which was Blood Brothers, which was very, uh, it was a show I absolutely love. And fun fact, our, our production of Come From Away in London's West End is at the Phoenix Theatre, where Blood Brothers played, I think, for nearly 20 years uh, in the West End. Um, so, you know, musical theatre was always a part. It was always a love, extracurricular. I was involved in it, even if I wasn't in an academic program. And, you know, I did go off to be a lawyer and, and did practice law parallel to my producing career for many years. But I also felt, you know, in those beginning years as a lawyer, I took a couple of years off to say, you know what, I want to try this producing thing. This was the time to do it and pursued that, you know, nearly 20 years ago now. Yeah, let's be honest, politics and theater, not that far apart. Not that far <laughs> apart at all. <laughs> so once you decide to delve into the producing part, what what was the first thing you um, started producing and what was that experience like? So I was trying to find, you know, a niche in Toronto, which I would call mid-size commercial theater. So, you know, in Toronto, we've got obviously our, our, our biggest and most prominent musical, uh, commercial musical theater producer, Mervish Productions. And then Canada is mostly not-for-profit theater. There wasn't something that was in between that sort of was bringing more off-Broadway fair or smaller musicals, you know, in, in a for-profit model. So when I started early on, I, I mean, I did a, you know, a, I a non-equity production of Chorus Line uh, down at the St. Lawrence Center for the Arts. That was the first, you know, I, I started looking at musicals that you could reasonably do uh, on, on a reasonable budget. Uh, I was directing at the time at these shows. Um, I thought, you know, the cheapest director would be myself. Um, the critics agreed, uh, not, in the, not in the most favorable way. Uh, but, um, but that's really how I started was, you know, I had gone around the world meeting with producers um, to get advice, you know, David Mervish, uh, Bill Kenwright, Cameron McIntosh, you know, meeting with these extraordinary commercial producers. And they sort of all said the same thing, you know, the best way to learn this is to do it. You, you've just got to take that terrifying leap and 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 run with it and and that's how I learned you know I started developing we it's funny we de I remember developing um a new musical about a hip-hop Passover Seder that was combining klezmer music and hip-hop by Josh Dolgan his DJ knows so-called I mean I remember doing all those things at the beginning and um it, it was really exciting but you know look if I look back on what I was doing then compared to now I'd be horrified, yeah. but 
you had to learn. And, you know, that production of a chorus line did make a little, a tiny bit of money, it did break even. And, you know, I started to see that there was an appetite uh, from audiences um, to see this type of work. But then we got interrupted a couple of years later by something called SARS, the original. <laughs> Oh, which no. just as I was sort of gaining momentum, I had done, you know, side by side by Sondheim and Evita and Free to Be You and Me. And then I started to take the leap into equity, bringing an off-Broadway show called Game Show, which was a wonderful show where audience, you know, there was a whole story, but audience members would come on stage and play a real game and win real prizes. But <laughs> it was it was that summer and it was the, that was the summer that followed SARS where just things fell off. People were afraid to come to Toronto and also our American friends, uh, the passport requirements went in. You didn't need a passport to cross border. You could just mm -hmm. show some ID. And mo you know, most Americans uh, don't have passports. So that was a really, really tough summer. No. Well, and, and it's, it's never easy to jump into something, you know, not knowing, but that's the great thing about it. You don't know what you don't know. And like you said, when you look back, you go, oh, what was I thinking? But I think we're, you know, I, I say this, like, we're so brave. We're a lot braver when we're younger and yes. stupid. You know, like, as, as much as maybe you're, you know, I look at decisions, especially when you're trying to make art and you refine your decisions, but you're a lot more uninhibited, which is, which is quite nice. I mean, I've always been a risk taker and I like to produce things that scare me, but you, you know, you're, you're more willing to do things you wouldn't do now. Like, you know, when I make decisions, take things on now, there's an infrastructure, there's a network, uh, there's, you know, but that didn't exist. When you're starting out, you're just sort of, you know, you're jumping in and, and having a run at it. And, you know, it, it, when I look back, I mean, again, I could not, I, I feel so privileged and, and have had some success. I, I, none of it would have been possible without all these, what really were wonderful experiences working with great people, people, you know, I still connect with and work with today, you know, years later, and people I've watched careers, you know, really explode. But I got to do some things that, you know, I really enjoyed that I knew other theater companies just would not take on. What would be one of those shows? I'm curious. I'll give you. I'll give you two examples. So one of the things I, I'm I'm really proud of. There was a a fringe show called Boy Groove that came out of from from the West, and um, it was Aaron Macri, Chris Craddock had written it, and it was a satire, really, really satire and dark comedy on boy bands in the music industry at the time, sort of juxtaposing uh, boy bands and Eminem, and you know, it was a comedy, and and but it it really had a great message. I mean, I, and I thought, and that scared the hell out of me because that was very, um, oh boy, that, that was, there was a lot of heavy stuff in that and a lot of heavy language. And, you know, we got phenomenal reviews and tons of Dora nominations. I think it was, it was the first show to win the Dora Audience Choice Award, um, the very first one. And, and, you know, I was very happy about that, but nobody else was gonna pick that show up for the, from the fringe and do a commercial run at the Diesel Playhouse. The other mm -hmm. show I'm, I'm really proud of was Dog Sees God, Confessions of a Teenage Blockhead doing um, the professional Canadian premiere of that show. Mm -hmm. Again, that was an, an uh, Boy Grove was a musical, um, Dog Sees God was a play, but that was a really important, play in terms of what it had to say about young people and self-identification and, you know, uh, um, 
you know, sexual identity. And, you know, that show, when I look at the cast, uh, it was a very young cast. I mean, that was done in New York with a starry cast. And I sort of took a view here in Toronto. But, you know, we had Paula Brancati, who got a Dora nomination uh, for her role in that. Jake Epstein uh, was in that. Uh, ben Lewis. And uh, a very young and astonishingly talented Tatiana Maslany. I mean, that was just a really special group, Adamo Ruggiero, Mike LaBelle, Siobhan, um, oh, I'm forgetting, her, forgetting her last name now, but that was, that was an incredible group of people. Um, and I thought that show had a really great message, especially, you know, I was trying to do things too, that would attract young people, that young people would come and, you know, experience theater or a type of theater they wouldn't really see anywhere else. That's, that's fantastic. You giving these opportunities. Now, I just want to do as a side note and a selfish note. Um, I love that you're talking about all the things I know, like the theaters and the people and the shows. Usually right. when I talk to people from New York or England, they're, they're mentioning theaters. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I've not been to that one. No, I've been to that. Yeah, I've been I, to I that. Just wanna get, I just want to give, just, just I want to give um, a credit where credit's due because it was, uh, I want to also say it was Siobhan Murphy. That's what I thought. I don't know why I didn't let that end. Alex Saslov and Lindsay Clark. I want to mention the company because I mentioned them all. And and they were, um, it, it, that was just so special, that 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 experience. Yeah. Again, that's another side note. Did you, did you find a lot of difference with, for, for anybody who's listening, for, for producers who, who want to get into this, you, you said you did commercial, you've done non-commercial, you've done the fringe. Which, what what advice would you say to these people? Is the, is it essentially the same for all three of those or is it slightly different? And what should they, what bit? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've always done it commercially. When I say the fringe, I sort of plucked the show out of the fringe yes. of the commercial run. So I, I think I think all the mechanics are the same in this, except where you get your money. <laughs> so if it's commercially, you're getting it from investors and you 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 have a responsibility to, re- to try and return that money back to your investors. Uh, if it's not for profit, you know, you're usually writing grants or getting uh, donations. But from a producing perspective, you know, A, you got to make good decisions and hire a great creative team, right? That's most of the battle, like a, a great director, um, and your casting and, you know, your director works to bring on the rest of the team and obviously the cast. And so you want to hire good people. That's number one. And you want to hire good people because let them do the artistic work. You, you know, I give notes, obviously get involved. I don't sit in rehearsals, but we'll go to run throughs, et cetera. Um, then you got to sell your show and whether it's uh, whether you're, it's not for profit or commercial, you have to sell your show. And I, I feel as a producer, until every seat is full, your job is never done. So what does that mean to sell your show? That's whether you're dealing with groups, you're dealing with marketing, advertising, communications, you know, theater critics, you know, all the rest of it. Um, there's just unlimited work until you get every seat sold. I do not envy the producing position. (laughs) Listen, it's a challenge. It's lonely, you know, Um, but, but it is rewarding. I think when you get to see a team, you know, that's one of the things, that's why I said, you know, I sort of said in my introduction, like, especially in Canada, and it's not unique to Canada, but you know, it's actor, director, star, set painter, you know, launderer, you know, it dresser, you know, it's all those titles. And I, and what I've tried to do is let the director just direct. 
let the writer just write, mm-hmm. you know, let the, let the designers just design so that they can do their best work. Because if you've got, if you're pulled in so many different directions, it's very hard, you know, it's just, it's, but if you can focus all of that creative energy in one place. So that's what, you know, I think makes me happy is just stand, you know, at the back of a theater and, you know, see these, you know, beautiful things come to life. That's fantastic. So, so let's, let's move forward a little bit yeah. to uh, 2011, I think. Yes. Around yeah. There. Uh, yeah. When you, you joined Sheridan and, yeah. and let's talk about the Canadian Music Theatre Project and, and sure. what it is exactly, because some people might not know, and uh, all the group, you know, over 25, I think, shows or something like that, a lot of yeah. them that you've helped workshop. So please tell us a little bit about that. So, you know, I had an association with Sheridan as a producer, you know, obviously had cast a number of alumni and had done some lecturing there and an opportunity had arisen. I was, you know, I had a two full-time gigs as a lawyer and a producer at that time. I was, was back, you know, at the quote unquote Bay Street law firm, you know, earning my keep so that I could help put on these productions. Yeah. And Sheridan came knocking on the door about this uh, job at the time as the Associate Dean of Visual and Performing Arts. And for those um, that aren't familiar, you know, Sheridan has one of the leading music theater programs in the country. And I was very interested in the job. I wasn't sure what, what it did, but I was very interested <laughs> as a non-academic. I was very interested in the job for the perspective that, in in Ontario, the province of Ontario, this was a three-year advanced diploma program that was transitioning to a four-year degree program. And that was very interesting to me to lead that transition as an administrator. And as part of that, uh, in the fourth year uh, of the program, they needed a capstone project, a project that would apply all of their skills learned in the previous three years to something. And that's where, I, you know, the Canadian Music Theatre project strung, uh, sprung up. This was an opportunity um, to do two things. It would fill an academic need that students would spend five intense weeks working on a new musical. So they couldn't go to YouTube. They couldn't listen to a cast recording. They would have to rely on those skills to make choices to inhabit. In many of the shows we did, they were inhabiting these characters and creating these characters for the very first time. The second need we were fulfilling was a cultural need because in Canada, you know, it was very hard. There's organizations that had done some music development, musical development over the years, but they always fell apart because of funding. Here we could institutionalize this because it would be part of the academic need and and fulfill that cultural need where we could pay writers to say, hey, come hang out for five weeks. We'll, We'll bring on a professional director and music director. The students are just wildly talented and smart and creative and let's see what happens and that was really how it started and of course a musical I had tried to get written and done for many years was what became Come From Away and as this transition to Sheridan was happening a few months before I had seen um, or, or in 20 I think it was 2010, yeah, it was 2010, the summer of 2010 or the spring of 2010, I saw uh, My Mother's Lesbian Jewish Wiccan Wedding, which was a musical by David Hine and Irene Sankoff, autobiographical about David and his mom. And, you know, I had, I did not know David and Irene. I love the musical. And I, I said, you know, we got to go out for dinner. We got to know each other. And we, you know, we hit it off. And after three hours, I said, hey, I've been trying to find people to write this musical about the events in Gander, Newfoundland on 9-11. A number of writers had turned me down. They thought it was a tasteless idea, a terrible idea. I mean, they didn't understand 
you know, that this was about the outpouring of humanity. I was, I was very moved by this. And as I, I remind people in Canada, this was part of the story that was reported in those days and years following about these 38 planes landing when US airspace was closed. So when Sheridan was, was coming on my radar screen, I knew I wanted to do this. I said to David and Irene, I will commit to like the first show where not like me, it really was the first show we, we will develop is what became, I mean, it had various different names, but when we did the first workshop, it, we, it was eventually had come from away, but we, the first show I committed to through this incubator was come from away. That, that's fantastic. Now you, you've seen this, this, this show go from nothing to everything. That yeah. must be an incredible experience. Uh, yeah it's wild because you know i'm i'm a theater fan i'm a theater kid i get you know excited you know walking by a theater and i feel when i lose that i'll go back to practicing law full-time and you know with come from away i'm still in disbelief i mean because you know when you you know, uh, you know, when you're in New York and you're you're walking by the theater and you see all these kids lining up for rush tickets. I mean, I did that. I mean, rent, like <laughs> yeah. I was in that rent line in Toronto for the Canadian company <laughs> many times over. And, you know, I'm I've it was a dream of mine, certainly to launch a show to Broadway and to to be part of that community. And, mm. you know, really, as a Canadian, I mean, I think it was that was also important to me, too, that we you know, have world-class talent, we have important stories to tell and want to share that with the world. So I am, I am just as enthusiastic and excited about, you know, musical theater as I was when I was a kid. And to, to be a small part of it um, and have this show, you know, come from ways over 1300 performances. I think recently we, we became the 70, I don't know, fifth or 74th longest running show in, in Broadway history. Um, so it's, it, it's an, it is really, I, I, you know, I, it will take years to process, but, but it's, it is joyous knowing, especially when I speak to young people, knowing that come from Wake and have an Im impact on a young person as Les Miserables or Rent or Blood Brothers had on me, it just continues that chain. So I, I can't wait to see the young Canadian producer that trailblazes, you know, another big international hit because they were inspired by Come From Away. Very nice. So what are some of the other shows that have, uh, like you started with Come From Away and we know where that went. Yeah, that was pretty, pretty hard but, to top that. Pretty, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's true. That's it. But, you know, we did close to 30 shows there over a decade of my tenure over a decade. Mm -hmm. And, you know, another of the shows, we have had a wonderful collaboration with Neil Barchman, Brian Hill, who, who wrote Story of My Life. Um, I, I just, adore them and we one of the early shows that we worked on with them was the theory of relativity and the, and the theory of relativity the idea was to create something that community theater groups high schools universities could do and they set out and created a, a song and text cycle about young people you know leaving high school or college and and exploring the rest of their lives so we developed theory of relativity um, that has become an international sensation. Last year, um, the Theater Education Association, I don't know if I have that name right, but they named it the, the third most produced musical by American high schools wow. in the US. It was one of 
the most licensed shows by Music Theater International, one of the leading um, licensing companies. It got a professional premiere at Goodspeed Opera House. It got a cast recording from PS Classics that has people like Erica Henningsen on it, uh, Giselle Jimenez, who's just, you know, killing it in Tick, Tick, Boom, if you get a chance to see that movie. Um, you know, it's just such an incredible group uh, of people on that cast recording that are all doing Broadway, off-Broadway film, television. They're amazing. And that show has had productions all over the world. I mean, it is, you know, I know Neil and Brian and I got seated in, in uh, London, but there's been productions in Australia. There, there was a foreign language production, I believe, in Vienna. And that show just keeps on giving. I'm going to see a, an online production done by a youth company in the Barbados uh, in a couple of weeks. And so that show, you know, was huge. The other shows that followed, and this is what I think, you know, I was most excited about Come From Away, that, you know, Come From Away, you know, was the fifth uh, Canadian musical to get to Broadway. I define a Canadian musical as a musical written by Canadians. Um, it's obviously become the longest running Canadian musical, but it blazed a trail. You know, in Canada, our regional theaters were hesitant to do Canadian musicals. They, they, you know, wanted to do the tried and true American and British shows that were could be the big money makers. But that that shifted. And you look at shows. It was originally called Prom Queen. It changed titles to Louder We Get, which was performed at the Siegel Center. Uh, and uh, the high school project, the Grand Theater, and just before shutdown at Theater Calgary, that was also part of the National Alliance for Musical Theater's Festival of New Musicals in New York, where Come From Away was also part of and picked up its commercial uh, producers. So we have that show. We've got a show called Grow um, that I'm, you know, a lead producer on that we were just about to go into rehearsal at the Grand Theater. That is written by, um, book by Matt Murray, music by Colleen Dauncey and uh, lyrics by Akiva Romer Siegel. So that show is going to open uh, at the end of March or 2022. So we're gonna go back into rehearsals in the new year. Um, a show called Now Called, we, we change titles all the time. I don't know why, but My Bonnie Lass, which has now been changed to Maggie, wonderful show about um, a working class mother in Scotland post-war, um, written by you know the Canadian legendary recording artist, Johnny Reed uh, with Matt Murray and, and Bob Foster. That we're gonna announce some really exciting things in the new year about its regional track. You know, the, the, the sad thing was 21, 22, I think I had counted there were six or seven CMTP developed musicals that had been announced and that got squashed that we hope will come back. Kelly versus Kelly, Britta Johnson, Sarah Farbs musical. You know, we so so there were all these things that were were happening with these shows. And then it was kind of like, ah, yeah. but I would say more than half had received professional productions, whether in the United States or in Canada. So it's it was just thrilling that there that this energy and this interest from um, you know pump up the volume, which was done by an American team, was all set to go at the Citadel Theater. So you know hopefully that will come back on. Like so there there were all these like announcements uh, that were out there of the shows and and yeah. Yeah, I, I saw. <laughs> I, I saw grow. I saw pump up the volume, and I've completely forgotten the third one. Um, the one uh, Maggie, my Bonnie last. No, the one the furniture. Um, oh, hoarding, hoarding. hoarding. Yeah, yeah I so saw, 
I saw so that you- one. And I had tickets in Pittsburgh to go see Pump Up the Volume. I was planning to go down to London to see Grow. And then, yeah, the pandemic hit and all my plans. Pandemic all fell apart. Hoarding, um, wonderful British team. Uh, you know, they just, um, a few weeks ago, I was in London, England, and the National Theatre just did a workshop of hoarding. And uh, we hope they're going to continue. So the reach of the Canadian Music Theatre Project, which was, I mean, it's it's its ethos was to support, support Canadian and international um, book writers, lyricists, and composers. The majority of the work was done by Canadian teams, but we also invited um, several American teams. And it's, um, and, you know, we collaborated, I should say, with Australians, Matthew Matthew Lee Robinson on a show called Atlantis. We worked with Neil and Brian um, and Nick Yu uh, from China, who's one of China's most prominent playwrights on a project called Bethune. So, like, there's just such an incredible energy and and you know that's a credit to um the teams and the students that really gave their heart and soul and and had this just really wonderful experience in creating these these roles and and you know changing the face you know i used to say we're not just you know recreating musical theater you know usually do shows which did that existed but students also got the chance um not just to recreate but actually create so very exciting yeah, yeah. I, I went to sheridan back in the day so i'm a graduate of there so i know the the incredible experience they would get especially for, with this thing you know being part of something new and helping you know create something and foster it and and, and bring to life this thing and be like i i was there yeah <laughs> when yeah. it first started well, you know, it, it's, and, you know, slowly, it hasn't lined up perfectly, but a number of the students that either worked on the shows or worked on Canadian Theatre Project shows are cast, mm. you know, in the, in these productions. Yeah. So that's sort of super fun to see that those students are, are making their way into these shows all across the country. Well, again, thank you for, for starting that and, and, and bringing to life those almost 30 shows and giving them the opportunity to, um, you know, try stuff and experiment because we know when, when it's expensive and it's not easy to just even put on these workshops and get these people. And, and you've given the opportunity to let these things grow and flourish. That was terrible, but um. no, 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 no. It's good. It's good. It's good. But you know what? It's but what you're saying, which is really important to me, and something I talk about with the teams. It's the opportunity to fail safely. You know, musical theater about is about rewriting, and you need a safe place to fail. And that that was what was exciting. That you know, because of the level of the skill of students. They could bring in a song and hear it, teach it, you know, quickly hear it on the spot and be like, this is a hit or this isn't, this isn't working. Or they could hear a scene and be like, yeah, this isn't working. And they could come in the next day and come in the next day. And I I often find, you know, all, everybody's got to work towards a deadline, especially musical theater folks that, you know, some of the best work would happen, you know, in those like critical moments and last minute moments as the process was coming to an end those epiphanies would happen and you'd get these this great song or great scene or breakthrough in an act you know and that's what it was I mean that that was the vibrancy of what the room was like and you know when I get to go and see all these shows 
you know, I think of those students, like I think of that, that development process, I think of, you know, especially, you know, come from away, which I've gotten to see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, I still think about, you know, the students and how a moment was created or why something is in the show or why something lands in that way, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, it's really special. Again, thank you so much for that. So now let, let's move on to your next endeavor. Uh, yeah. About six, seven, eight months ago, you started yeah. a new company called My Story Creative. Yeah. Love to yeah. learn a little bit more about that. Yeah. So after after a decade at Sheridan, I think it was time. And, you know, I wanted to focus fully on my producing and creative development. So I sort of have two tracks in life now. One is, you know, very much producing, very much um you know, excited in the next couple of months to announce some, you know, marquee projects in addition to Maggie and uh, Grow, um, but that's going to be very robust. And then it was, you know, another track in terms of this, you know, consulting world, but working with um, somebody I greatly admire, Dr. Yael Katz, who is an academic whose expertise is in creativity, the study of creativity. So we're combining our efforts to work with different organizations and companies to help them leverage stories to achieve strategic goals. So, so what does that mean? So, you know, there are lots of things that people want to accomplish and there are different ways that they can try to accomplish it. Some, some is very institutionalized, but, but how do you accomplish something? So whether it's um, an information campaign or a project or a, a social innovation uh, idea, how do you do that and make it stick? Mm -hmm. So this is, the, this is the question that we explore in this endeavor. So how do we work with companies to, create, to look at their stories and lift those stories into narratives immersive experiences that their communities build, but that the public will also remember. So it really is theater. It really is in, in a sense, you know, taking these compelling ideas and delivering them in a more compelling way. So it's a very different approach to traditionally when you may bring in consultants or people to work with, and, you know, um, you, you know, you may have certain deliverables in that, we want to we what we do is we produce something that is is public that is memorable and that emotionally connects with an audience which is really you know me relying on you know my theater expertise um and yael looking this looking at this from an academic critical lens through the study of creativity and also Social innovation is very much a part of that. So we look for, you know, when you work with with private companies, we don't, we can't scream yet what that is. But but what I what I am very excited to share is that I think it will engage the public in in a way that will get the attention we hope, but will also be driven by social innovation that we will look at certain social ills that need more attention to be resolved and solved and in, in certain areas. And um, I'm being cagey because I can't, I can't talk openly, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but it, it's, another, it's another outlet of creative expression. So I feel, um, and it's such an interesting time to shift uh -huh. gear. You know, we're, we, we are slowly coming on the other side of, of a moment that has affected everybody in the world and certainly affected us most uh, or very hard 
in in the art in the in the arts and creativity world where you know yes there's been a lot of great online work it, 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 i got tired of it to be honest it just just came difficult to you know receive our medium online in and out but i think that um i think that the way you know we're not going back to normal it's not happening um, you know, there, there, there has been, uh, uh, you know, a reckoning with regards to uh, institutional racism, and uh, it, there's been a reckoning in terms of uh, what, what the perceived norms of are in our theater industry, and that has to change. And I think change is exciting. I think change is important. And I think if you're going to continue to fuel the survival of the theater, you do need to pay more attention to being a more inclusive industry because a more inclusive industry is going to um, raise more inclusive stories. And though it's those stories that add to the richness and will attract new audiences and will allow people to experience theater in a different way, equally compelling, if not more. So, I'm excited about where we are in this moment and the opportunities, the positive opportunities um, to move forward in it. I love the through line through your career of, of, of producing and help, just the support and helping of, of new works and, 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 you know, from your early producing days with the fringe and those shows to Sheridan to this, it, do you, do you know why this is something that you do? Is there something in your life or impetus for, for this sort of thing? You know, it's, you are. it's interesting. You know, you know what? It's interesting. Let me give you a theater analogy, but I want to be serious about it. When I'm thinking about a show or developing a show or developing something, it has to affect an audience. And in order for it to affect an audience emotionally, it has to affect me emotionally. And it has to continue to affect me emotionally throughout a process. So when I'm asking a writer to give me a new draft of a script, when I'm reading that script or listening to the demos, if I'm not feeling anything, it's not working. If I'm feeling something on the 58th draft or, you know, I, like every time I go to Come From Way, I, you know, there are moments that I still get emotional. You know it's going to work for an audience. Okay, where does that come from? I said to you, you know, at the outset that, you know, the thunderbolt that struck me was, was Les Miserables. But there's a moment in that show that I think has guided me. And I, I'm not a religious person. You know, I'm, I, I mentioned I'm of the Jewish faith and that's important to me and culturally. And, you know, I'm not the most religious person. However, when the bishop gives Valjean the candlesticks, in that moment of redemption, in that moment of second chances, in that moment of one person believing in you and that can change the world, that has always been a compelling guidepost to me in the work that I want to do. And I think eventually as you progress in your career, you can't do everything you want to do, but you know that you can lift people up in the sense that, you know, I don't, I don't have the discipline or the courage to be a writer. I, I always admire writers because at some point in this terrible process, you have to share your work publicly before you're ready to do so, whether that's in a, a workshop, public or private, or in a preview or in an out-of-town tryout, you've got to share your work. So I want to be the most supportive and respectful to get people, you know, down the road on their journeys, 
but I, I do want to be protective and I do want them to know that um, they do have somebody that is looking out for them, that's supporting them and that's wanting them to succeed and providing that opportunity. And it inspires me. I mean, I, I am just in awe of, of what people can create because, you know, I will work on things and have the stories and, you know, ideas and we'll write a creative brief, but, but, it's putting into words and music that, that I think these extraordinary people do that is sacred to me. So, so I don't know. I think there's just something in that moment from Les Mis about how you can, you know, treat others with kindness and support. And if in your, if you're in a position to, to lift somebody up, um, that, that you, you should try and do that. Well, from all of us out here, thank you so much for all your your support, uh, not only for the Canadian musical theater world, but, you know, just the theater world in general. And, and you know, we need people like yourself who, um, you know, can take risks and are willing to uh, help new creators and, and bring forth these works because they all need to be heard at some point. So thank yeah. you, Michael. For no, I feel very lucky and, and I've, I've just been able to work with a lot of great people and been given opportunities myself that I know I'm very privileged to have. And you, you know, the theater industry is built on mentorship and support. And I, I just find that no matter where you sit on that, that pecking order, I, I just everybody, I've always found just such wonderful support from, from theater practitioners and producers all around the world that, you know, it, it, we're so small, like when compared to film and television, we are tiny. And I, and I truly do believe that, you know, someone else's success is an, is an encouragement uh, for your own success. You know, I really think that's important that, you know, we work together to, to lift up writers and actors and voices and, you know, just support and create so so yeah and it's a lot of fun <laughs> and that's the key you gotta have fun with what you yeah. do if you don't why are you doing it right so so uh, thank you michael for for coming on and, and talking to us today uh but before we go i always yeah. ask three questions of my guests there's no right or wrong answers but we get to know you a little yeah. bit better okay the real deep michael rubinoff <laughs> oh boy here we go yeah no, not that bad but question <laughs> number one what creator or team within musical theater has had a great influence on you? You know, it could be a composer, lyricist, director, producer, actor, stage manager, even. Uh, it could be somebody famous, not famous, like a teacher. Is there somebody who's had a, a great influence on you? Yeah, I, Harold Prince. You know, I look at, you know, the collaborations that Harold Prince had certainly early on in his career, West Side Story, you know, Fiddler on the Roof, which is which is such a show that I love. And he, he was a guy that, you know, stage manager, director, producer, took those risks, supported artists right until his last breath. So um, he, he's just somebody I, I truly admired and did get the opportunity to meet well, uh, which was very special to get a little bit of guidance and advice and, and have that interaction. Very nice. Correct answer. <laughs> so, Question number two. Now, the EGOT is one of the most difficult and exclusive clubs to be a part of, right? I think there's only like 16 winners of this and be a part of it. But I believe that you, and I might be wrong, and you can let me know, you are a part of a more exclusive club. You're part of the DOT which is the Dora, the Olivier, and the Tony. Now, okay. Can you think yeah. of anybody else part of the dot? 
Anybody else who's part of the dot? Okay, I have a Tony nomination. I have a oh. Tony nomination. Well, Kelsey so, Gobey won something, didn't it? Yes, Chris Ashley won Best Director, but oh, as producer, got the Tony nom. But no, no, no. Uh, we'll get that Tony. It'll be grow yeah. or Matt. So, so don't worry. We, we can rewatch this and say you were right. Who? No. Who? I can't. Who? Who else has? Oh boy, who else has the Olivia? You know. I think the only, I mean, I'd have to say producer here. I'd have to say Garth. I think Garth okay. may have the dot. Um, I can't think, you know, David Mervish for sure. Mm. David Mervish, 100%, yeah. uh, I know has the dot. But I'm trying to think of like <laughs> actors or directors. You know, Brent Carver, I don't. Brent Carver, I don't believe, won the Olivier. He, he for sure has a Dora, and he obviously has a Tony Award. Yeah, but I yeah. love that. I love that question. I'll have to. I'll have to <laughs> do some research on the dot. But I love that. <laughs> I was thinking about like there's got to be very few people, and you are part of an elusive club. I do believe oh, so. Thank <laughs> you. So yeah, and I have to say, David Nyreen, David Nyreen. So yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah have, have a Tony. No have a couple Tony nominations yeah. for book and score, and they do have an Olivier, and they do have a door <laughs> there we go not really a question but i, I just want no that's fine so so correct answer one point for that so <laughs> final question and might be the most important and we'll, yeah. we'll reveal more about you than anything else yeah food in the theater or cell phone in the theater which is worse oh my god this is the hardest okay i think this is the hardest question i've ever been asked um i am okay which is worse? Okay, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say food, and I'm gonna tell you why. Because I always joke, it's the buffet. Like when when you when you get people around you that bring the buffet, yeah. that could last the entire show. Like the unwrapping, the eating, <laughs> the throwing away, the opening, the 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 fizzy whatever it is, closing it, the talking over what they're grabbing in the dark. Yeah. So I'm going to say food because at least this, as much as the cell phone, you should absolutely go to hell if your cell phone, you know, hundred <laughs> percent. But at least the cell phone, for the most part usually gets turned off i know it's the people that have it deep in their purse and it takes forever but yeah. usually we can trust once we hear the cell phone we're going to be done for the most part not always but the buffet the buffet could go on forever so <laughs> i'm gonna say food is worse do you have a story about the worst thing you've, you've food wise that you've dealt with in, in it's just i i think sometimes when you go when you go um when the shows run very long in new york and you're yeah. more of a touristy crowd it's just, it's the talking with the food that makes me, <laughs> nice. I, I say there's two types, there's a couple of people that will just stir your finger going, there's the buffet, then there's the joke repeaters, the joke repeaters also drive me nuts, that when the actors are doing such hard work, they drop the joke and, and one person says, what, and then somebody has to like explain the joke, or just when someone does the joke and somebody feels they just have to repeat the joke for no reason at all. So between the cell phones, the buffet and the, and the joke repeaters, uh, it, it, that can make me nuts. But, you know, um, I'm trying to think if I've had really bad experiences. I mean, I haven't had two terrible okay. experiences. Oh, you know what? I did, uh, you want, okay, I will tell you the, the worst. No, this is probably the worst crowd experience. I saw um, the revival of Dreamgirls in the West End and um, I wish I could recall the name of the actress. She was wonderful. She's singing, I am telling you. And um, 
she's just getting to the climactic moment in that glorious song. And these women in front of me start having a conversation, like literally in the minute, like in that space between the big note being like, when's the intermission? Do you think it's almost intermission? And I, that was like, yeah, that was a tough, that was tough. That was really tough. I, I just, and I did say something to them. I did, yeah. I, but, but we, I had to be careful because we were going to spend the second act together. But I thought, oh my gosh, this is when you you decide to, uh, that that really, <laughs> yeah. I would have also accepted both are awful, um, but you got the correct answer anyways. One, yeah. three for three, congratulations, no prizes, but uh, we get to know you a little bit. There you go. There so, you go. So Michael, thank you again for coming on and everything you're, you're doing, you've done uh, for the musical theater industry in the world and especially in Canada and Toronto, because we, we need more producers like yourself because, you know, if we don't have producers, we don't have shows. Yeah. So thank you for, for everything. Well, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. And thanks for doing this and giving the world an insight into what we do. I really appreciate it. No problem. We were just speaking with Michael Rubinoff, uh, producer extraordinaire, because I don't know what else to call him. Um, tune in next week as we'll be speaking with another guest or guests about their life, love, and passion that is musical theater. I'm your host, Jean-Paul Yovanoff, and until next time, I'll see you when I see you. We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theater throughout the world, and we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community.